You are listening to the Self Image Experience Podcast, and I am your host, Chloe Rosam. Hey, thanks for tuning into the podcast. I have a special episode for you all today because we have our very first guest appearance, Taylor Barassa. So welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you. So Taylor is a registered psychotherapist and art therapist, and she has a ton of wisdom to share with us. So we're going to focus on a few key things today, which by the way, was tough to narrow down. However, We're going to focus on anxiety, self-esteem, and also on Taylor's creative entrepreneurial side, because I know many of you guys listening are also entrepreneurs. So I feel like this will be super valuable for you. I really wanted to have Taylor on today because she does a lot of work with her clients around anxiety and self-esteem and also spirituality, which aligns with a lot of the topics that I discuss as well. So I want you guys to hear Taylor's perspective. Um and just get a different vibe. So I also love that Taylor has a more holistic approach to therapy compared to traditional therapy. Um, Like I mentioned, she does a lot of art therapy as well. So Taylor, please tell us about who you work with and give us a little bit more about who you are as well. Thanks, Chloe. So I work with people who face anxiety, depression, self-esteem issues primarily, which I like to further subdivide that into self-image, body image, uh, body dysmorphia, and concept of self. I also work with people who have particular anxieties around death, the meaning of life, their participation in life, and existential dread. So when I work with people on the latter, we almost always explore spirituality, which starts out as a pretty broad topic, but the more we work on it, the more we start to find the individualized voice, understanding, and expression of spirituality. Okay. Thank you. So I think all of those topics are like super fascinating, which is also why we are narrowing the focus today because otherwise this podcast would be like five hours long. (laughs) So uh, I do want to mention that as you were talking about like the spirituality exploration, um, I think that spirituality often gets, and I think we've talked about this before, but I think um, spirituality often gets... um, associated with religion. But what it sounds like when you describe it is more of like turning inward and exploring our authentic self. Like, would you say that's somewhat accurate? Yes. Cause I don't like to put kind of like a religious labeling on it. Cause it could make some folks feel like, Oh, I'm not welcome or accepted here because I don't align with your Christian theology or your Buddhist theology or whatever. Right. Um, I like to kind of create a little bit more space for whatever religious expression that comes up alongside your spirituality. Cool. Super cool. And I think that's awesome because as soon as you do, you put label, not you, but as soon as we put labels on things, um, it, it can make someone feel like they, you know, they just tune out because they think that it doesn't have anything to do with them because they don't fall into that category. So I think that's really cool that you create that space. And it's like, no, it's more about turning inward and exploring, um, you know, the things that, that you find there and not necessarily things on the external, like with the beliefs and stuff. So super Mm -hmm. cool. 
Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, so for today, we're going to focus on uh, anxiety, self-esteem, and a little bit of that spirituality. Um, because so many people that I work with and talk to, they deal with at least at least one of these things, if not multiple off the list. So I want you to share your expertise with the listeners so that they have another perspective on how to deal and how to manage um, with these things when they come up. And I think it's so awesome that you talk about these things and that you work with your clients with these things, because sometimes you hear one person talking about it and then you hear someone else talking about it, especially with different educational backgrounds and like more of an educational background in your case. Um, and like actually studying these things, sometimes that just resonates a little bit more with people. Um, so I think that can be super valuable. Um, okay. So I have some questions for you. So let's just dive right in. Um, all right. So based on your current and your past clients, what seems to be the most common problem that your clients present with? So it's funny that you are talking about that spirituality being more of like an inward process. Um, (laughs) Because to answer that question, there seems to be kind of an overarching theme of turning things inward. So there's like a positive, but also a negative side to that turning up inward. Um, So what I mean by that is that there's a lot of self-blame, self-debasement, self-rejection, and self-judgment, which of course all work together to create the perfect recipe for self-esteem issues, anxiety, and existential dread. So these scripts don't come from nowhere. We once heard them somewhere, whether that be from our parents, our peers, teachers, the media, or what's most often the case, a combination of all of these. These scripts then become a part of our schema or understanding of self. And we replay the same scripts over and over again, re-engaging with them because they're all we know. So what's actually happening inside the brain is that when we engage in these pattern thoughts that lead to our subsequent feelings and behaviors, we're forming neural pathways or shortcuts in our brain, neurons that fire together, wire together. So there's actually a neural explanation for these problems. It's something that can be worked with and altered but it takes a lot of time. That's why it feels like the old adage, we can't teach an old dog new tricks or simply that people can't change feels right because when you're forming new neural pathways, when you're actively trying to retrain your brain, it doesn't happen overnight. So people stop engaging with the new process because it doesn't yield automatic results. And they kind of re-engage with that self-rejection, self-judgment, self-blame. Well, why can't I change? I'm doing everything right. Yeah. And I think that's like totally in alignment, like what you said with what I see as well. And like, when you're talking about scripts, like just to be clear for people, um, you're talking about like, like what we're making these things mean. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So like with these scripts that we, we have, we make it mean something and then we carry that. And because we've built those those patterns almost with the neurons in our brain and like the pathways, then it just becomes kind of like that, that thing that our brain reverts to without us maybe even being conscious of that. And so then like you're saying, like it gets to the point where we don't, you know, give it enough patience or time when we're trying to change and it can feel super challenging or, you know, most of the time it is challenging. So why it ends up feeling like that challenge when we're like, okay, I'm doing the things, I'm doing the things and I'm not noticing anything happening. So I think that's awesome that you clarified that because 
um, you know, one of the biggest things about doing this type of work is needing to give yourself the space and the patience to be able to, you know, actually make the new pathways. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so in my work, I talk a lot about how our thoughts, whether they're conscious or subconscious, create our emotions or our feelings, which includes a normal dose of anxiety. But for people who are experiencing anxiety disorders or like clinical anxiety, where they don't necessarily feel like they have any control in the matter, what would you say to them in this case? So that's a tough question because it's actually different for each person, which you already know. (laughs) So um, I'm going to try and focus on one or two examples. I wouldn't necessarily say anything other than validating their feelings. And this is me with my therapist hat on, right? Absolutely. Um, So having anxiety can feel incredibly isolating and it can feel like you have no control, but also that others don't understand what it feels like or why it matters to not have that control. So the next step is I would use either art, narrative, and nature, or a combination of everything to explore what it feels like to be out of control and how we can still access safety even when we're out of control. Because at base, that's essentially what we're aiming at, right? This might look like creating art with your eyes closed, using a looser medium like finger paints, using your non-dominant hand, or having them direct me in what to draw but they don't get to see the paper or actually use any of the materials. Mm. So it's kind of like a, a fun little guided process of, okay, what if I were to just like completely go off the script and ignore what they're saying? And now they've lost even more control. What's going to happen? Interesting. Which probably like, sorry, I was just going to say, which probably can feel like really scary. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to, if you're going to be going that route, you want to have an actual, you know, build trusting relationship with the person. Can't be your first session where you do that. Um, yeah, probably not a good you know, idea. It's, it's, it's kind of something that you agree to. It's like the scaffolding approach. You will say, okay, we're going to try some exercises. Some of them are going to be more distressing than others. We can check in with each other, see where we're feeling and kind of like pull it back and you know, meander through those feelings. We don't want the feelings to come up and we're just like, okay, we're going to just push through. Um, we we want to actually be actively addressing the anxiety as it comes up. So if it's too distressing, it's not going to be helpful. But if it's not as challenging, it's also not going to be helpful. Right. I love that. That's like such a perfect way that you said that because it's like you want to acknowledge it. And I think that's the thing too that, you know, when we're experiencing anxiety, whether it's, you know, a normal dose of anxiety or it's, you know, a clinical disorder, then we're scared. Like we're scared regardless because we don't know like what's going to happen when it comes up. And so I find that we get so scared of our emotions that we don't want to face them. And so actually doing that and doing that exercise that you're talking about, it's like, Hey, let's, still acknowledge that you're feeling this. Like we don't want to run from it. It's yes, it feels bad, but like, let's actually like maybe become friends with it and like sit with it Mm -hmm. and kind of explore it a little bit more so that, you know, we can allow it to be there and then still, you know, not have it affect us in that way. Mm. 
Yeah, for sure. And I mean, there's definitely a spectrum, right? From safest to least safe. And depending on how comfortable the person feels and how comfortable you feel as the person holding that space for them, um, it's kind of an oscillation, a constant oscillation between least, most, least, most, back and forth. Um, So I I just want to say also that this can also be done in nature with even less control or direction because nature is such an unpredictable force. And as soon as you step out into nature, it's like, okay, so we came here with a plan and then all of a sudden it was a torrential downpour. What do we do? Um, so the flexibility with, with nature is it gives kind of a a different level of engagement that you can play around with. Um, Anxiety craves predictability, so stepping outside of that predictability automatically forces you to engage with and confront the discomfort that arises when control is off the table. In short, for our listeners, I would actually say to them, (laughs) to answer your previous question, (laughs) engage with and familiarize yourself with the idea of of or loss of control. Interesting. I think... Yeah, that whole the control thing is what people really struggle with because it's like when you say, oh, it's just a feeling, people are like, whoa, no, like, no, like, you don't know what this is like. Like, this is a, it's a big thing. And yes, it is. And it feels huge sometimes. Like, like you said, there's kind of a spectrum. It's like, you might feel it a little bit and you might feel it really big, but like, it's like that loss of control because you don't know what's going to happen. Like, it's that feeling. So, Yeah, I, I think that's super cool. Um, and I like how you use like the the art exercise and like nature because you're right, like nature is so unpredictable. But maybe like if you don't mind sharing more about how someone could utilize that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I'm going off script. <laughs> Go right ahead. <laughs> Um, sorry, I'm just thinking about, uh, nature as an unpredictable force and how, um, this weekend I was in Montreal and I was anticipating something much different than what I faced. Uh, I was torrential downpour the entire time. I didn't have an umbrella. I didn't pack pants. Like, (laughs) you know, I mean, this is just me being completely unprepared. Um, and then, (laughs) and then it got to a point, um, yesterday where I was like, there is no point in me stopping somewhere and buying an umbrella. I'm already soaked. I'm just going to stay on St. Laurent Boulevard and just keep going because eventually it's going to be dinner time and then I'm going to go home and it's all good. So I'm going to say maybe engage with the playfulness of that unpredictability. Because if you remember being like a kid, and as soon as it rained, you'd be like, oh, I get to go outside and splash in the puddles or I get to make mud pies or like, you know, you earlier in the day, you made, I don't know, an image on the pavement using chalk. And then it went away when the rain happened. And as a kid, things seemed less intense and less life or death. Right. So kind of being able to engage with that playfulness when nature presents it to you. Yeah. That's, that's such a great point because it's like, as you were explaining that, I was like imagining myself in that situation. And it's like, you do, you have this expectation of how something's going to go. And when it doesn't go that way, especially in nature, because it, it, mother nature just doing her own thing. <laughs> it's like, okay, here's some rain. And 
like torrential rain. So, you know, it really does impact what you're doing. And it's like, you felt yourself being like, Ooh, like I should do this, or I should do this, or I should do this, or, you know, I should get some pants or maybe I should stop and get this umbrella. And it's like sneaky, but your brain is trying to like get you out of the situation immediately because it thinks you're going to die. And you're like, okay, I'm just going to remind you that it's just some rain. Yes. It's uncomfortable. Yes. I am soaked, but like, I'm not going to die. You're going to be fine. And so you carried through that while also acknowledging like, Hey, I don't want to be in this situation. And still you made it through and you were okay. And I think that's cool too, because not only are you like facing the anxiety and the, the unknown and, and feeling like you're out of control, but you're exploring that playfulness, like you said, and then also you're kind of like building up more trust with yourself in being able to do that in the future, because it's not like it just comes up one time and then it just goes away. Like it's going to come up all the time. Probably if you're, if you guys listening are like us, I'm sure it comes up all the time. So (laughs) it's like, it builds that, that trust with yourself to, to know that you will be able to handle it. And it gets, it'll still probably always be uncomfortable, but it will be more comfortable in the uncomfortable. If that makes Mm -hmm. sense. And you'll like the trust you're talking about, you'll be able to trust that you can get through the situation. It doesn't mean that you're your like lizard brain isn't going to come online and be like, you need to escape this situation. It just means that you're going to be more able to say, okay, dude, I hear you, but you remember last time we made it through, we're actually going to be okay this time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that that's, thank you for saying that because that's another thing that I think is another misconception about, you know, getting into this type of work is like, oh, once I, once I understand how to manage it, it's just not going to come up anymore. And it's like, no, that couldn't be more, um, far from the truth. It's going to continue to come up maybe even more when you're getting into this stuff, but you just get more, you know, aware of it and, and, and become friends with it essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I was very anxious yesterday. (laughs) I was right. As soon as it started happening, I was like, Oh, seriously. Like I planned this trip for months and here we are. And then all of a sudden my brain was just like, okay, you could continue down this route and be like, Oh, I had the worst trip ever rained in Montreal. Or you could just like look around at the locals and everybody was out without an umbrella, just like running around. There was one dude who just like started dancing in the rain. (laughs) And I was like, that's the guy I want to be like, right? I'm just going to shift and I'm just going to let myself go into this cafe and warm up for a little bit, enjoy a space that I maybe wouldn't have enjoyed previously and then go on with my day. So the anxiety did show up, but I just kind of learned how to dance with it. Like that guy dancing in the street. I love that. That's such a great analogy. Just learning how to dance with it because it is, it's like not trying to get rid of it. It's just going with it and like going with the flow of it. And sometimes you just can't control what's happening outside. So you just got to roll with it and you don't have to be miserable about it because you can, you can focus on, you know, how shitty it is, or you can focus on like, Hey, this is actually kind of fun. And like, let's play with it a little bit. So I love that. That's such a great example. So thank you for sharing that. Um, Of course. Okay. So in your opinion, what are the consequences of not dealing with anxiety? So meaning like we were just discussing, instead of going into like that, that playfulness and allowing it to be there and and becoming friends with it and facing it head on, like instead, if you were to resist it or pretend things are fine, or even, um, 
like once we start identifying with it, what are the Mm -hmm. consequences? So there's a great book I think everyone should read called When the Body Says No, The Cost of Hidden Stress by Gabor Mate, who is, by the way, coming to Ottawa to speak uh, on his new book, October 1st. So if you're interested in listening to more kind of trauma-focused literature and research, you should check that out. Um, I'm just here plugging somebody else, but that's okay. (laughs) That's okay. We're here for it. Um, so essentially what happens when we avoid, repress, ignore, or resist stress or anxiety, our body says, Hey, why are you not listening to the signals that I'm sharing with you? Maybe you'll listen now if I give you stomach problems or sleep problems or diabetes or cancer. Our brain and our bodies communicate, and that's what the stress or anxiety signal is. It's our primordial lizard brain coming online and saying, There's a threat that we should be aware of. We should either flee, fight, freeze, or fawn. Those are our trauma or stress responses. When we don't deal with the real or perceived threat, our brain doesn't receive a signal that says, we're ignoring this. It just thinks that we didn't hear it the last time. So then we end up dissociating, having nightmares, having back pain, having stomach problems, getting really sick more often. It's sending the message to us louder and louder and louder until we finally listen and do something about it. So it can be as easy as taking a few deep breaths, even just acknowledging the emotion. There's this thing called name it to tame it. So when you name an emotion, in this case, anxiety, it actually calms the emotion down a bit. So our logic brain starts to send soothing chemicals to our emotion brain. Imagine when you were five and you fell and hit your knee even after your mom told you not to climb on the rocks. But she comes over and instead of saying, I told you not to climb on those rocks, now you're hurt, which dismisses your feelings and shames you. She says, wow, that was a big fall. You seem pretty hurt. I'm sorry that you're hurt. Let me help you feel better. So this version acknowledges the hurt and it also helps soothe it. That's what happens when you name it to tame it. And the opposite happens when you shame it. And part of shaming anxiety or stress is that idea of denying it or repressing it or actively avoiding it. Okay. There's like a lot of really good information in there. (laughs) Uh, I was like, wow. Okay. That's like the best answer you could have come up with. Um, First of all, um, I have no idea who Gabor Mate is, nor would I have said that name that way. So thank you. Um, And that's actually really exciting. Second point. Um, I love that you were talking about how, when you do not deal with it, like we think that, I think a lot of us, whether we realize we're doing it or not, we tend to just dismiss the feeling because I think it, it often, it's not like it comes up when we're just sitting in a nice, quiet, comfortable room, uh, on our own where we can just kind of like imagine ourselves dealing with it, whatever that would look like, whether that is going into like some deep breaths and like thinking about it. It's like often when we're around other people or we're in a social situation or we're at work or whatever it is, and we're having like a confrontational experience. And so that, that wave of emotion comes over us and it's like, we have to push it away. At least I know for me, like that's definitely what I have become aware of now, but what would usually happen is like, you just 
push it down and be like, I'll deal with this later. Or just not at all, because you really don't think that anything's going to happen. It's just a feeling, right? And what you're saying is like, when we don't deal with it, our body gives us signals in other ways. So it might not come back up as that emotion and it might, or it might come up as that emotion. And then it also might come up as stomach problems or digestive problems, or, you know, not feeling like you're, you're able to focus and all these different things that we, we kind of see as the symptoms. And then they, a lot of the time get treated as those symptoms. It's like, Oh, I have, I have IBS, I have digestive problems. And then it's, it's treated like that one thing. And then, you know, the focus is off and it's like, okay, well, maybe you have, maybe you have ADHD and let's treat that separately. Whereas it might actually be coming from the fact that we don't know how to effectively, most of us, unless you've really done a lot of this work, you don't learn in school or anywhere how to actually feel your emotions. And, and then that causes us all these other problems. So I think that's like, thank you for bringing that up because I think that's a huge thing. And I've been learning a lot more about that recently. And it's so cool hearing you, you know, affirm that, that, you know, like it's like these physical things that happen and it's all from not dealing with these things. So whether, you know, and I'm saying this because I think I hear a lot of people, um, and they, they, they say like, oh, it's just, you know, oh, it's just this feeling. Like you gave the example of the kid and the mom being like, oh, like, you know, let's brush it off. Like you're okay. And it's not from a bad intention, like a malintended place. It's coming from a place of love. Like, oh, I just want you to feel better. But it doesn't acknowledge what the true feeling is. And so in that moment, then that person, whether it's the kid or yourself in a situation, you're just dismissing what's real for you. And then you end up with these, you know, physical ailments or whatever that may be. So, um, I think that's really important for people to realize as they, they go into this work is like, start paying attention to not only what you're thinking about, because yes, like a lot of it is, you know, when we think about therapy or like therapy and it being like a doctor of the mind or doing, you know, coaching and it's mindset work. And we think about it as being just the mind, but it's really about that whole mind body connection and really getting in tune with our physical body as well, because that's where a lot of our signs are actually being shown. Yeah. Um, that was like super tangenty. So hopefully that made sense. Um, but yeah, there's, you just said so many good things in like your answer there. Um, so, okay. So let's go into like, um, where you were also talking about how you can kind of manage through when those things do arise, um, taking deep breaths, I think, and the name it to tame it. That is something that, uh, I think also it sounds silly. Like when you think about like, okay, just take a deep breath. Like how many times do you hear that? Right? Like people are like, oh, just calm down and take a deep breath. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I would love to. <laughs> um, but, but when you are, and that's another really common question that I hear is also like, okay, well, when I do feel that emotion and I'm willing to go there and I'm willing to allow it and to feel it, what do I do with it? Because it, yeah. it can feel so big and, and actually processing emotion versus, you know, like where we started with this question, which is like, um, 
like, what are the consequences? Um, instead of, you know, avoiding or resisting or whatever, you just allow it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but typically emotions last anywhere from like 30 to 90 seconds. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, being able to sit there and like name it, it automatically like kind of takes it away, takes away like that, the harshness of it, because you're, you're almost like separating yourself from the emotion. Like you are not the emotion. It's like you experiencing it. And it kind of brings you into like that, that watcher position. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's, uh, do you think that's like the main, um, the main thing that you find the most useful is like breath work and then also being able to like explore by naming emotions. Yeah. I think it's like kind of the embodied process because what you're saying is emotions last for like 30 to 90 seconds. And I'm sure some people are listening and are like, mm, do you, the both of you are lying to me right now. Yeah, um, <laughs> totally. We're, we're not. <laughs> and I have felt that way before myself, right? When, like if you get into an argument with somebody or a disagreement or they really hurt your feelings and you're just like, I'm sad. I'm so sad. You're not sad anymore because your brain has already sent you that signal, right? Your brain is like, we are sad. Do something. And then you decide to not do something but continue to engage with the idea of that feeling. So you still have that kind of like idea of the feeling and you almost, you almost want to hold on to it a little bit instead yeah. of processing it and letting it go because it's like, well, what's going to happen if I let it go? Am I going to be able to hold the other person accountable? Are they actually going to apologize? Are they going to change their behavior in the future? You know, all of that is really important. But in the moment, it doesn't matter because we are not mind readers and we also cannot ensure that everybody is going to act 100% the way we want to all the time. <laughs> so the emotion continues, it lingers because we continue to engage with the kind of like script that we've created around it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we're just playing, we're on that hamster wheel and we're, we have already felt the initial emotion but then we just keep feeding it by by going on that like thought loop. Like I know I've yeah. been there where it's like, it's like, because it comes in waves. And I think that's where like the waves come in is because you already experienced the initial thing, which didn't last that long, but then you like revisit it and you're like, oh, I'm going to like replay that scenario like 600 times again, just to see if I can like change the outcome in my mind. And it's like, no, yep. <laughs> no. Cause now all I'm doing <laughs> is just creating more of that emotion. And then it's feeling bigger and it's getting scarier. And especially with like anxiety in particular, I think that's kind of when we go into almost like when people experience like panic attacks, because mm. it's like you already experienced the initial anxiety. It's not like you just, and I'm, I could be very wrong on this, but I don't feel like it's when you just, when you experience a panic attack, you don't just go straight into the, the panic attack. It's like you have the anxiety first and then it builds into the panic attack. Is that mm. like, does that sound somewhat right? <laughs> um, no comment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I, I I actually don't know. Okay. I'm just going to be honest with everyone. I don't know the like details of anxiety into panic attack enough okay. for me to say, yeah. 
Okay. Well, if you are listening and you experience just straight up panic attacks, like without any lead up to that, please send me a message or an email or one to Taylor and like, let us know. Cause we would love to know. Cause we don't know, but <laughs> I mean, just based on like the people that I've talked to and I like, it's surprising how many people experience panic attacks, like on the regular. Um, it sounds like it often starts out as maybe not something small, but it's like, there's definitely that initial anxiety and then it builds and it might be very quick, but it's still, it's something that starts and it builds. And then it's like a big you know, it's a big panic attack. So mm-hmm. yeah, if, if you have anything to share on this, um, anyone who is listening, we would definitely love your feedback, please. And thank you. Um, <laughs> okay. So, um, okay. Going on to the next. So what are your thoughts about people dealing with anxiety who might not even be aware when they are in victim mentality? Um, there's a lot of talk about, being vulnerable and like vulnerability as being a good thing. But I think there is a fine line between being vulnerable and also being in that victim mentality. And obviously being vulnerable is good. And that's where you can, you know, you can gain the control because you are being open and authentic, but you're not you know, being in that victim role. So how can someone maybe gain awareness around being in victim mode to then ultimately gain their power back? So based on some of the words I've already said so far today, you might be able to guess where I'm going with this. Um, But I like to run scripts. So pay attention to the language that you're using about yourself, your situation and others. Notice the nuance in your language, and you can actually role play different versions. So you can role play alone with a therapist, a friend, a pet, a tree, literally doesn't matter who you're role playing with, so long as there feels to be an, a, a separate other. I mean, there's even such a thing called the empty chair technique, where therapists have you talk to an empty chair. Imagine your mother is sitting in front of you. What would you say to her? Right? So you're, you, you can role play with literally anything. Um, It almost doesn't matter who you role play with so long as you're trying on different ways of looking at the scenario. The way we speak to ourselves is incredibly important. And this is why self-compassion is such a significant growing force in the literature around self-esteem, anxiety, relationships, and overall general well-being. That's very interesting about playing the different scenarios. Now, what do you think it is about playing with the different scenarios and you know doing that situational role play with whether it be your you know a therapist or a friend or a pet or a tree which i love by the way <laughs> it was definitely a one-sided conversation um but when you're doing that like is it is it the awareness of hearing yourself talk about it or is it just bringing awareness to, you know, yeah, I guess just the way you talk about it, like with the words that you're saying, like, is that the main, the main tool there? Hmm. I think so. Being able to hear things differently. Cause it's like when we run scripts, we run them in our heads. So they kind of you know, it's like being on that hamster wheel. They're going and going and going, but they're just in between our two ears. When we say them out loud, 
all of a sudden we have to confront that, wow, that's how I speak to myself. That's how I think about myself and how I feel about myself. And that's daily. Sometimes it's unconscious because I'm so used to engaging with that script. So now you're confronted with, yeah, maybe that's not so nice. You can imagine, (laughs) okay, so your best friend is standing in front of you. Speak to her the way that you speak to yourself. Mm. Are you going to call her a dumb bee? Probably not, (laughs) right? I mean, probably not. I hope not. (laughs) Are you going to speak to somebody you love the way that you speak to yourself? If not, why don't you love yourself, right? Because you're speaking to yourself that way right now. Yeah. I think that's like super eye-opening because it's true. Like think about the way that, I don't know about you, but for me personally, like I know some of the ways and we don't realize like there's just such a lack of awareness around it. It's like just normal when you're, you think that, oh, I'm just holding high standards or I'm just, you know, I'm being hard because it's, it's on myself. And like, I like, it's like the, having like the military dude up there just being like, all right, you can do better. Like, what are you doing? You know, it's like that. I think you, what do you call it? The critic? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like that critic that's inside our mind, like we're complete like a-holes to ourselves or we can be, Mm -hmm. I know I can be. And so when you hear that and imagine like saying that to your best friend, um, or I've even heard to, um, someone has mentioned like imagining your, your child self and Mm. imagine like, would you talk to a child that way? And now imagine yourself as a child and like, talk to yourself that way. Like you would never do that because it would sound awful. Or like, imagine being in public and you're like with a kid and you're just talking to the kid the way you would in your head. Like it would sound Mm. so bad. So like that is such a great exercise. And yeah, I guess even just like thinking through that, it, it must be just, you know, like hearing hearing it out loud, first of all, getting it out of your head, which is similar to um, like journaling, which is why I love journaling, like writing things down, it just changes things and it like puts it into reality and you can easily separate the thoughts from the circumstances and and your Mm -hmm. feelings. Because when, like you said, in between our two ears, it's like all meshed into one. And then we kind of just roll down that hamster wheel versus taking it all apart, hearing it, hearing it in a different light and even just being able to like look through the information in a more objective way because it's like written down or, um, you know, it's said out loud. It really changes things without changing it. It just kind of gives you that awareness. Mm -hmm. So you guys need to get out there and start talking to trees because it's life-changing. If you haven't already hired a therapist, get a therapist and talk to trees. That's, that's the takeaways. Yeah. If you take nothing else away, it's talk, start talking to trees. I, I really like willows. Mm, so, yes. um, but you know, you might prefer oak. I don't know who you are. You might prefer maple. Mm. Whatever your tree of choice is, they're always going to be there for you. So they're always going to be there. I was going to say like, you know, pine, they have a nice scent as well, but like that might not yeah. be, you know, easy to get to. So you, you, you never know. You don't want to sit underneath a pine. <laughs> How are you going to hug a pine tree? I've what? tried. It's really hard. <laughs> I was going to say, if someone's tried, please let us know, but you already have. So <laughs> thank you for that, Taylor. Oh my gosh. Okay. So what about 
we're going to kind of dive into, I think we've discussed a lot about anxiety and everything that we've discussed is like super useful. And I think it's like easy to relate to. Um, but if you have, if you're listening and you do have questions or we've talked about something that you'd like more information on, um, please send a message to either myself or Taylor. Um, just to confirm, Taylor, you are accepting messages if people have questions. Yes. Okay. So she is accepting messages and we'll give you details at the end of this episode. But if there's anything around anxiety that we've discussed and it's unclear, or you have a situation that you want to go a little bit further into, let either one of us know, we'd be happy to help you. Um, Okay. So I just wanted to say that before we change topic here. So I do want to talk a little bit about um, self-esteem and how does that show up with your clients? So this is going to be a short answer. Okay. Um, there's a lot of comparison, judgment, and actual self-loathing. Okay. Sometimes even just a sense of, yeah, feeling like I hate myself sucks. And it'd be nice to look in the mirror and say I'm beautiful, but I don't deserve it. Mm. So why bother? Mm. I think that is like, it sounds intense and dramatic, but I think that is such a common thing. Like mm. I've had so many conversations with people where, you know, they say that in passing as if it's just like a normal thing. Like not that it's abnormal, but you don't have to think that way is mm-hmm. more what I'm saying. And it's, it it's, yeah, it's like the undeserving, like people feel like they're undeserving or unworthy of, you know, of, I mean, I'm sure it all comes down to the, the, the core belief of like, you know, unworthy of love or unworthy of essentially that's probably what it comes down to. But, um, yeah, anyways, I think that, um, that those definitely are, are common themes that I hear as well. So if you were to, and maybe you don't have it off the top of your head, but like, if you were to give an example of maybe how that would show up because I think that can be sneaky, um, which is kind of what I was trying to explain is like, it can show up in these ways that sound normal to us. And we think it's just how everyone thinks, but it's actually not a way that, you know, is beneficial to you or anyone. Mm. Yeah. So I think it's kind of similar to the anxiety of paying attention to how you talk to yourself, but also pay attention to your behaviors, right? Like, are you really into fashion, but you don't let yourself wear trendy clothes or you don't let yourself buy that new dress because you're like, well, what's the point? It's not going to look good on me anyways. Ah, right. Or if you're sitting in a a situation with friends and you're just overanalyzing everything they do and you're like, oh, wow, my friend is so beautiful. Look at her eyes. I wish I had eyes like that, but my eyes are just tiny and ugly and they don't really go with the rest of my face. Then all of a sudden you're inside your head and you're having this conversation of just tearing yourself apart and five minutes pass. And you're like, I don't, I didn't hear a single thing. My friend just said, because I was completely disengaged. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of like plays into the next question too. So maybe we can combine these because it's, you know, what do we see as the consequences of not working to improve one's self-esteem. And thank you for sharing those examples because I think 
without hearing examples, it's maybe like, oh, self-esteem, like, oh, I don't have those issues or no, I don't think I have that. But when you explain it like that, it's like, okay. Like, I think that shows up for a a lot of people where, you know, you're, you're in a social setting or, you know, you're even at work or whatever. And you're kind of focused on what everyone else is doing, what they're wearing, how they look, how they're acting and, and saying like, like you said, like, oh, I wish I had this, or I wish I had that, or, you know, I would love to purchase this dress, but it's not right for my body type. Or like, Mm. I don't think, or I'm too old to wear this, or, you know, I'm too young to wear this. Like it can show up in so many different ways. And I don't think that we recognize that as, you know, a self-esteem issue. We think that, oh no, it's just like, this is the rule. You can't wear this Mm. because of this, or, you know, like, all the examples I just gave. So I mm-hmm. think like consequences are like not actually connecting with people around you or even, um, you know, like missing out on situations. Like what other consequences do you see of not working to improve one's self-esteem? So I will answer that question. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, but just to kind of tag on to what you were saying it feels kind of bred into our society yeah even if you think all the way back to the 90s which I'm allowed to say because I am a 90s kid and I am now a 90s adult um but (laughs) (laughs) nothing tastes as good as skinny feels oh right right (laughs) um so that advertisement that was just everywhere And it was so pervasive. And then, you know, there were other things, very, very subtle. Like you can't wear white after Labor Day. Oh my God. Right? (laughs) Like just just so many innocuous, insidious things that are bred into our society that we might even like actively confront when they show up. We're like, oh, I don't believe that. Doesn't matter if you don't believe it because it's still in the back of your head. Right. 100%. You just verbally said you don't agree with it, but it's in the back of your head. And that's why we have things like fat phobia now. Right. Yes. Um, which is like a whole, a whole other thing that we could go into. Yes. Oh my God. Anyways, I just needed to say that because I've, I recently saw a TikTok talking about, um, (laughs) 1990s, like self-esteem issues. And I was like, yep, check that off. Yep, check that off. Yep, check that off. And I was like, wow, this is terrible. But also thank you for, you know, illuminating this, that it was just so pervasive in the 90s. And it oh. still is, obviously, um, mm-hmm. just a different way. Maybe maybe even a little bit more insidious. So anyways, the consequences of not working to improve your self-esteem are, like we've said, a lack of engagement with life in the present moment. Uh, self-esteem, depression, anxiety, life engagement, and feeling like you're living a meaningful and purposeful life are all interconnected. So when we fail to improve, excuse me, our self-esteem, it's almost like a recognition that those thoughts of not deserving it should win. So self-esteem has always been a pervasive issue, but it seems maybe a little bit more pronounced now with TikTok and Instagram and Facetune apps and Photoshop and you know, everybody shows up on, on these apps and either, 
does present a certain way or feels like they need to present a certain way, or when they don't, they compare themselves to the other folks who are presenting a certain way. So it breeds that culture of comparison and constant judgment of self and others. Not only does low self-esteem impact the self, it actually impacts your relationships and your ability to form meaningful connections, which is what humans want to do. We're social creatures. We like having family and friends who like us and accept us for who we are. When we have low self-esteem, we believe that no one likes us because we don't like ourselves. And so we create and engage in narratives that can harm us and the bonds that we already have. Yeah, that's like, yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that, by the way, because yeah, you're right. And I think the whole social media thing that you brought up as well, like it is, and it's what people, it's what they see all the time. So it definitely, um, I'm sure people can relate to that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and as for the consequences, like essentially, you know, when you're like, it just, you can see how when you don't love yourself, you're not showing up as yourself. You're suppressing all of that, everything that makes you, you, and then you're expecting to be in these relationships where maybe we're hoping that the other person is going to give us that regardless of like which type of relationship you're in, whether it's like a familial relationship or a romantic relationship or a friendship, whatever, um, you know, we get kind of caught up in like almost we're not showing up in the relationship. And then we kind of have expectations of like how other people might be able to fulfill those needs that we're not fulfilling ourselves. And it's like, how can you expect all these other people to, to like you if you don't even like you, or you might mm-hmm. not even know who you are because of all the comparison and getting caught up in that. It's like, you don't even know who you are anymore because you're so busy trying to look like this chick or this guy and trying to, you know, fit into whatever mold or whatever like category that you think is the way that you should, as I say in quotations, be, but really it just kind of helps us lose ourselves. And in the meantime, we're also losing our, you know, that's where we lose that Mm self-esteem. And you mentioned, I think you said that, um, it's not that there is maybe more of these problems. Uh, like you said, like a lot of that stuff came from the nineties, but we just see it a lot more now because of things like TikTok and Instagram and, and YouTube and all the ways that we're just able to, to view it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have to actively disengage with those, those sources of media and socialization which is incredibly difficult. And Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, they all also have a positive side to them. Yes. Right? So it's like, okay, so I want the positives, but then I just get slapped in the face with all these negatives as soon as I open the app. So it's like that balancing act of like, how do I healthily disengage with this? And I think it comes down to, It's more than just a disengagement. It has to be a disengagement from the app and a re-engagement with yourself. You you still have to do the work, right? 
outside of the app so that when you do visit it, it's like, cool. She's beautiful. Wow. Look at that man's house. Like you can just say, this is just something that this person is experiencing and it has absolutely no bearing on me as an individual. Yeah. Okay. That's like, I don't know if that's a quote from someone or just a quote from you, but that is so beautiful. Like disengaging with that, like whether it be social media or whatever, and re-engaging with yourself. Like that is so beautifully said. Um, and it's true. It's like, it, it doesn't mean that those people still can't be beautiful and that you still can't love their outfits or their, the way they wear their hair or, you know, celebrating that guy. Cause he has a wicked freaking house, but like, that doesn't mean that it takes away from a, your worthiness, B, your lovability or C, the fact that you are also beautiful and you have all the things that you have. And like, it doesn't take away from you. And I think that is a great point because when we do get into that comparison, it is almost like these people are so lucky because they have that, which means that I don't. Mm. So yeah, great point. It's a lack mindset, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Lack scarcity. Like you're just, you feel like there's a, a, a finite amount of pieces to the pie and that if other people have more then you have less, but that's not, mm-hmm. that's definitely not the case. Um, which is also like a great lead into what I wanted to ask you next, because I want to talk, I want you to talk about how art and nature help people with dealing with, you know, anxiety or depression or self-esteem. And I guess that really comes down to like how we can use those to actually do the disengaging from Mm -hmm. social media and online and being connected in that way. Yeah. So all of the kind of approaches that I use are very embodied process. So there's an extra level of engagement or a way of processing that not only engages most, if not all of our senses, but it's a continual process even after the therapy hour is over. So there's research that shows that being creative and spending time in nature have a calming, balancing, regenerative effect on our brains and bodies. And when you add a targeted invitation to that, say like what I mentioned earlier about practicing losing control in a contained way, we get to engage both our logic brain and our creative brain. So we get to build new neural pathways and strengthen our interhemisphere connection, strengthening our brains for future use. Not only does it engage our brains in this cool way, it engages the entire nervous system, which as we know, while dealing with anxiety can become quite loud and active. So while working with art and nature, we can practice soothing the nervous system, regulating, and even just familiarizing ourselves with how it operates. So that in the future, when we become activated, we can more easily recognize the activated state and say, name it to tame it. I'm feeling anxious right now and it's making my heart rate go up and my palms sweaty. I'm not in any real threat right now. And my body needs three deep breaths to calm down. That's, um, I love that because you're, you're basically like just talking yourself, talking to yourself in a way that puts you into, like you're talking about, like with your, uh, your nervous system, it puts you into that space of safety 
And it's like, you're literally just saying, hey, brain and body, like you are safe and let's just feel through this right now. Mm -hmm. And like, it makes you more present and aware of what's happening. Yeah. Um, I just want to share actually, like, I think it's super cool that you mentioned that because what I've been doing lately, as I've been doing like more of this work with myself is when I go for walks at night, I've been going for a walk every night. And what I found is that when I get walking, I get thinking and I, I'm like often like no, like nowhere land. Like I have no idea. And then I finish my walk and I'm like, where have I been? So mm-hmm. I do want to say like, this is not specifically experiencing anxiety. However, it is doing exactly this process that you're talking about and how useful it can be. Because what I started doing is, you know, going through the five senses and maybe not talking myself because I'm not experiencing anxiety, but I am talking to myself saying, what am I seeing right now? And I'm like mentioning all the things I'm seeing. I'm like, what am I smelling right now? And I, I smell and, and smell the grass. I smell the trees. I smell, you know, whatever it is. And then, you know, what am I hearing? And like by tuning into all of those senses, it like really is so grounding and like brings me into the present moment where I'm actually experiencing what's going on and like brings me back is like mm. the best way that I can describe it. And so I think that's super cool that you have, you know, your clients do that when they're experiencing something, even like, you know, when they're not just not paying attention or they're not focused, but that they're actually experiencing something like anxiety or like maybe a a bigger emotion or just a different emotion. And it's just kind of like talking to yourself, bringing yourself back, experiencing all the senses. And essentially it's just like bringing your brain back into your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it is part of your body, right? And for some reason, whenever we talk about mental illness or mental health, it's like, ooh, that's weird. It's separate from, no, it is, it's your body, right? There's the mind, body, gut connection. It's literally all together. And then you have your nervous system and bleh, everything, right? Um, What I like about what you're saying is that you're in a state of relaxation or calm a state where you don't have to actively confront the anxiety, but you're already building new neural pathways. You're already saying, okay, I'm familiarizing myself with this state of calm. I'm familiarizing myself with the ability to access flow and to practice the five, four, three, two, one technique, right? What am I smelling? What am I tasting? What am I seeing? And you're actively engaging all of that before there's a crisis, right? It's like there's crisis work and then there's prevention and you're actively engaging with the prevention. Yeah. Actually, thank you for like bringing that together because I mean, I'd like to give myself credit. However, I definitely didn't realize that's what I was doing, but like, you're, you're right. It is like, you know, you're not experiencing or I'm not experiencing like that big emotion, but it's getting myself used to that. And it's conditioning myself and, and feeling and doing that exercise, even in the calm, which is a great point because you can practice that when you are not in that emergency state, you can, and should, if anything, practice it, because then you do get good at it. And like, you're saying, like you're building those neural pathways before you're in that emergency state. So it's more of a preventive measure, which is super cool. So thank you for sharing that. Of course. Um, okay. So 
Yeah. Thank you for sharing like everything. I think this has been such a valuable call and I think it's gone way longer than expected. However, (laughs) I am like loving it. And I think this is so fun. Um, But before we kind of close things out, I do want to, I want you to share about the community that you've created and the events that you put on for your clients. Um, Because I just, I love your approach like I mentioned in the beginning, like you have more of a holistic approach, the mind, body, the gut. I love that you've mentioned that. Like, I just think what you do is so cool. And so I want you to tell the listeners today um, more about your practice and about your holistic approach and, you know, what you've created in your business that your clients have access to. Of course. So I find the holistic approach to be really helpful in seeing both the whole picture and the details. That's right. You get both. Uh, (laughs) It's also really helpful for tracking. So I like to say that when we talk, it just goes out into the ether and sure, you know, we have notes to help guide us, but they can also be quite limiting. So when we have the embodied experience of creating art or engaging with the environment in some way, we have proof that we did it or have been working on something week to week. So we end up spending less time recapping and we can keep digging and expanding. Our bodies hold emotions, thoughts, memory. Our largest organ is our skin. We are so sensitive and receptive to touch. So it tracks that engaging this through art creation and nature would yield positive results. It's our most basic language. When words fail, we turn to art. As for the community that I'm building and the events that I offer, I have a lot of groups because, you know, back to that thing I said earlier about us being social animals, group therapy can be incredibly insightful and expansive. One-on-one therapy is great for the more personal stuff, but we don't live in isolation and we crave connection. So some of the reasons we come to individual therapy is for that connection, right? So it's what we always say, the therapeutic relationship or bond is the most important piece of therapy, but that's just one person. When we have a group setting, we get to enact what we've learned in individual therapy, test limits, challenge ourselves, practice boundary setting, learn new things about ourselves, and essentially build the resource of community and relationship so that when you leave, you can take those same tools and apply them to almost anyone you meet. The groups that I offer focus on integrating nature and the arts in a very direct way to address anxiety, stress, and self-esteem issues, as well as dream exploration. Our dreams are the road to the unconscious and can reveal so much about us. Exploring dreams is the multifaceted way that I present to clients. (laughs) I said is, I meant in. Exploring dreams (laughs) in... The multifaceted way that I present to clients means that even after the group is done, you can keep doing the same process on your own to gain a deeper understanding of yourself, approach to life with curiosity, and work through the problems that can't be solved in waking life that show up in your dreams. Right now, what I'm working on is creating a couple self-paced workshops or courses for therapists, specifically around using media while assigning homework and my eco-art therapy approach. So like things to consider, how to practice, the why behind it being beneficial, and direct practices that I have used in my own practice 
that other therapists can introduce into theirs. Wow. So you've got a lot of things going on and you do a lot with your clients, which is now, if you're listening, you can hear kind of why, what I'm talking about. When I say Taylor has like a very different approach and like she's doing a lot of things. It, it's so cool. <laughs> um, and I love how you do the, you know, you do one-on-one and you do work with clients one-on-one. And obviously there's such huge benefit to that, but like the whole group thing, it's like also it's having a therapist and being able to have that connection. But then you've also got, you know, you're checking the other thing off the off the list, which is, you know, that innate desire to connect with other humans. And you get that on a bigger scale. And not only are you connecting, but you're connecting in a place where other people are doing the same type of work. And so you get even an even stronger connection and bond with people because you're connecting, but on the same level, and then also doing this type of work. So um, super fascinating. Also, with dreams and like the unconscious. I think that's so freaking cool. Um, and also, you know, you're, you're doing things around like all these extra things, you know, like you imagine, I don't know. I imagine like, you know, a therapist, like running the practice and like, that's enough to keep you busy, you know? And then here you are like also doing all these things for your clients, like in the group setting, but then you're also, you know, being a leader in your industry by, creating tools and um, educational things for other therapists and people who are also doing what you're doing and giving them kind of, you know, you're sharing, you're sharing what you're seeing is working and you're sharing that with them to help more people. So I just think you're super freaking cool. But that also (laughs) leads me into um, the next question too, um, which is building your business. So yes, there's the whole aspect of you and what you do with your clients, but it's also so fascinating because you are an entrepreneur. You've started your business and you know, there's a lot of things to overcome on that side of things. And you know, we're probably just going to have to do another episode on that cuz I think there's a lot to add. <laughs> but on like a shorter note, specifically around like moving past the feelings of not knowing how, or maybe your experience with anxiety or doubt when putting yourself out there and being a leader. Like I said, like when you're doing all those big things, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like those are probably things that would arise for you. Yes. A hundred percent. Right. I opened kind of in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and I waffled a lot. I was like, do I open? Do I not open? I have no money. Do I open? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no job, right? Like most people lost their jobs in the pandemic. Um, and I was like, I've always dreamed of opening my own practice. But then in the back of my mind, it's like, yeah, but it's not going to be perfect. And so one day I woke up and I was like, it's not going to be perfect, but I'm going to give myself 10 years, 10 years from today to get to that almost perfect vision that I have. So I'm still giving myself a little bit of grace period at the end of that 10 years. And I just went for it. And I did the same things that I share with my clients. I engaged with myself. I engaged with art. I engaged with the environment. And I had that reflexive process. There were a lot of tears. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And probably still are. (laughs) Yes. But... But that didn't destroy me. 
right? It was kind of an acknowledgement of, okay, so I just opened my own business. I need to pause and just hold that and honor that and be grateful for the fact that I had chops big enough to actually push the button and say, yeah, I'm going to publish this website. Let's go. Let's just see what happens. And then I started to build the community and I started to engage with the folks who taught me at my school. And I started to do more of my writing and engage with different journals and magazines, get my name out there, but also find people who were in similar situations who already had a business and who have been practicing therapists for 10, 20, 30 years. Can you help me? Can you mentor me? Can you be nice to me? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like support me through it. Let me know that there's something at the end of this tunnel. And that was, I think, the biggest support was having that community. Because like I said, we do not do things in isolation. So sure, I pressed the button. But the rest came with that community and that support of, oh, you know what, Taylor? I know somebody who you should talk to. And I'm going to connect you with them right away. And then talking to that person and them saying, I know a couple of people who are looking for therapy. I'm going to send them your way. Right. And all of a sudden it started to grow and it became less of a, everything is on my shoulders and I get to have the support of other folks. Yeah. And you make it sound so easy when you say it like that. But (laughs) what I really want to point out is your comment, or I guess your, we'll quote you. um, You said like, let's go. Like as simple as that, let's go. And that's really all you need. And I think that, you know, especially for if there's anyone out there listening that is new in a business or maybe you've already started a business and you find yourself, like I find myself too, I get into those parts where it feels like you're stuck. And I hate saying that, but like, it really does feel like that. You feel like you're stuck and, you know, you don't really know where else to go. So then you start thinking about, okay, well, I don't necessarily know what the next step is and what might this look like. And you can just keep yourself in that stuckness for like ever. And you just have to say to yourself, like, let's go, let's just see what happens. And you don't need to know what that path looks like. And for you, like if you were to think back, you probably didn't know that this would be the exact path that you would be on and these would be all the exact things that you would do. It's not like it was planned out like that. Like you just, you were like, let's do it. You start here and then that leads you to the next one and then that leads you to the next one. And like, it's that is the journey. And it's just being brave enough to say, let's go and then figuring it out. Yeah. And when you're not brave enough, asking somebody if you can borrow some of their bravery. Yeah. It's so true because I bet you, I know for me, like when you are feeling so small and and doubting yourself, there are, there is at least one other person. Like for most of us, there's at least one other person that believes in you. That is like, what are you talking about? Like, of course you can do this. Like what? Mm -hmm. Like it, it's without a doubt, there is always that person. So whether that be someone that's close to you or like you did, like you reached out to people who 
are already doing similar things or have similar practices or are, you know, they've studied similar things and you just ask them like, Hey, are you willing to help me? (laughs) Like it's as simple (laughs) as asking for help. And I think that can be another big challenge for people is they're like, Oh, well, I don't want to bother this person. Or like, you know, no one wants to give any free handouts or like, just help me. Why would anyone want to do that? But like, that's another way side note that your brain is just sneakishly trying to hold you back. So totally amazing that you were like, Nope, we're just going for it. We're getting her done. And now you're here. So everyone listen to Taylor and take (laughs) a little bit of her bravery and just write down the quote, let's go when you (laughs) feel that doubt coming out. Cause that is beautiful. Um, so if someone is looking for a therapist and wants to work with you, how can they apply, find more information and find out more about your events? So I like to direct people straight to my website because not only do I think it's really pretty, (laughs) And does a great job at explaining what I can offer and how it could be helpful. It has my contact info. Um, I like to encourage folks to reach out to me if even a little bit of their interest or curiosity is piqued. So I, as I'm sure you can tell, love to talk, (laughs) share ideas and connect. So even if someone isn't looking for me as a therapist per se, I'm still open to connecting. My website is wellnessgrovetherapy.com. My homepage also has some new resources that I've been developing, specifically my art invitations for student art therapists resource book and my embodied embroidery patterns for self-esteem, anxiety, and compassion or gratitude. My Instagram also offers some insights and can be found at Wellness Growth Therapy, or you can email me directly at tbarassa at wellnessgrowththerapy.com. And I'm going to assume that you will include this. Chloe, the spellings of things. That is what I was going to say. I was going to say, if you are not sitting at home with a pen and paper (laughs) right now, writing this down, I will absolutely be uh, linking all of Taylor's information into the show notes. So all you have to do is go in there and you can copy and paste and you'll have all of the information easily accessible to you. Beautiful. Yes. So is there anything else you'd like to share with us that we didn't get to discuss today? I just want to share my gratitude for you. I think that's that's all I want to say is I'm excited to be on this podcast and I'm excited to see what you're doing and offering the world. And yeah, just having me on because that's amazing. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you for expressing that. And I honestly return that right back to you because... I am just more than happy to have you on the podcast and for you to be willing to do this for, you know, not only me, but also for everyone out there listening. Like I said earlier, this is such a valuable session here. And I think that people are really going to um, reap the benefits of that. So thank you for sharing all of your super incredibly beautiful information. And um, I look forward to having you on again, because yes, you are the first podcast interviewee, but (laughs) you will have to be on again. So thank you so much for today. I honestly, I had so much fun. So yeah, just thank you so much. And, um, I really look forward to hearing what everyone has to say. Thanks, Chloe. All right. I will talk to you soon, Taylor. Bye. Bye. Hi. 
If you are enjoying this podcast and are curious about how you can take this work to the next level, come find me on Instagram. You can find me at Chloe Rosom, C-H-L-O-E-R-O-W-S-O-M-E. This is how I work with my clients on a private one-on-one basis with a custom coaching package tailored to your exact needs. So if you are ready to take your life to the next level, send me a DM for more information about how we can work together and take your life from hot mess to success.